Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. I'm going to be attending, um, I think a pretty pivotal event, my first one in two years. Uh, I call it uh, the Protective Intelligence Summit. It's um, hosted and sponsored by Ontic, which uh, is in the business of providing a protective intelligence platform. And uh, I'm just honored because I'm not only attending it, but also be facilitating an exchange between some thought leaders and practitioners that hopefully I can help add to uh, the learnings of this summit. Uh, but as I thought about it, I thought it would really be informative for me and you folks can join us. First of all, if you Google Protective Intelligent Summit, the ONTIC Summit, uh, you'll find the web address. And I also will put a link in our blog so you can get to it. Uh, but you might want to bring it up and kind of follow me as I talk to a guy who I think can help me prepare for this summit in a, a unique way, just by having a conversation about the different breakouts, the different general sessions, and maybe what we hope to learn. So I invited my good friend, Chuck Randolph uh, from At Risk. Chuck, great to have you on board. Always, my friend, there's several things that happen in when uh, Ron Warman calls. That's one of them. So I appreciate <laughs> you thinking about me to walk through the, the agenda. It's, I'll, you know, as you know, Ron, I'm a Texan now and uh, I'll be in attendance as well. Also helping to facilitate a session and listening in and all the great stuff. So I look forward and I will save a seat by myself for you. <laughs> you know what? We're, we're like, like I said, we're both going to be in attendance and I'm so glad to hear you're facilitating one too. And we get to talk about both of our facilitation on this call, but let's dig right into it. You know, yeah. one of the first things when I looked at the agenda is, and I'm hoping to get this out of Lucas Quanstrom's keynote where he leads off the summit, if those of you who would like to turn to it, but I'd like him to answer the question, why protective intelligence, why ONTIC, and why now? Yeah, I'm looking forward. You know, I, I'm a big fan of ONTIC, and I'm a big fan of, of them as a company kind of um, embracing this idea of protective intelligence. Risk folks like you, like myself, probably a majority of folks listening in here as we, we sit and we talk about this, kind of probably inherently understand the idea of protective intelligence, but I really think Ontic and a couple others in the industry have embraced that, uh, that name of protective intelligence as a subset of the intelligence community. And, you know, they, they definitely have become a voice in that community. I'm always happy to hear what they have to say about where we stand and where it's going next. Right. I, I know a lot of times I've seen people kind of substitute the word proactive for protective. Uh, but I think it infers the same thing. What do you think? Well, I do. Uh, in, in both senses, I won't use the word predictive because I don't think we're there. But as my good friend Ross Hill would always say, we want to be we want to forecast. And I think both protective and proactive intelligence is about forecasting through the 
you know, if we, what, what's the problem today in protective intelligence or proactive intelligence? The amount of data that comes to us. And I think um, the idea of a protective intelligence platform that helps you sift through the data that, so that the analyst can say, hey, instead of spending 90% of my time sifting through open source or classified type information, I can focus on the analysis, which is really what I get paid and where my sweet spot is because the machine has augmented my ability to kind of sift through the data. Yeah, that's very good, Chuck. Very good. And now, right now, they have a series of breakouts after that keynote. Yeah. One of them is Fred Burton, who you and I have both enjoyed and experienced and has an incredible reputation in this field that goes way back, way back in his intelligence days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The Fred Burton, as we should refer to him. Right. Um, it, so, so Fred was at the, the Close Protection Conference earlier this or this last year in, in December, and he talked about some of the insights from their 2022 report, and I, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, Fred definitely looks at things with a unique vision, and he's got a he's got quite uh, the longevity of experience in the field and real world stuff from both government and private sector you know, looking at this idea of threat and then how do we pr place protective intelligence around it to, to support it? I, and I think, as I've heard you say before in one of our many conversations, I mean, having that near the top of the briefing is really important because, you know, it's going to inform the conversations for the rest of the event. Oh, and, and my gosh, what I can't wait for, I've always said everything starts with the right question. So if this survey had the right question. And I'm going to questions, and I can presume it does because mm -hmm. of Fred and Kopecky and others at OnTech. Um, then I read the blurb, and it says those questions went to not only chief security officers, right. but, but also their legal officers, their compliance officers, and of course, physical security decision makers uh, and influencers. So this is, this is going to be really interesting. So at the, at the bottom line, I think we're going to get answers to the question, how have things changed over the last year? Because they did one a year ago. Mm -hmm. What has changed? And who's behind the change? Yeah, there. And for me, I always, you know, I'm big into um, intelligence-driven, uh, operations-led, and now threat-informed activities. And you might say, well, wait a minute, Chuck, intelligence and threat, that the, those bookends seem like they're similar, and they are. But if you're doing protective intelligence, which is maybe directed efforts towards, say, a protective effort, we have to be in, informed at all time about the type of risk, where the risk is going, where the risk has come from. And I, and I, I, really, uh, I really like this idea of placing that lens over this is where do we think we are? Where do we think the risks are? Where do we think our gaps are? And then having that, again, in, inform the rest of the conversation and the hallway conversations and the conversations over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or whatever that will likely happen over those few days. Well, the, uh, the other thing is I usually hear of risk and threats and trends from one lens. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea, I'm very curious how these 
professional silos, if you will, chief legal officer, compliance officers, physical security, probably cybersecurity people too. I'm really interested in whether they're seeing risk in the same way. Well, yeah, I mean, Ron, if you look at the whole agenda here, and, you know, we've talked about this actually on this in your show before, you know, this idea of like um, common operating information, you know, we have language, common operating picture, but also common operating information. And now having all these professional silos, which is, I think, a great way to, to put it, and then start to think about how can technology create common operating information platforms and language by which everybody is looking at risk they're able to digest it and then make decisions from the same base as opposed to, you know, if there's five professional silos, there's five different ways to look at it. There's five risk platforms. And then the CEO or the C-suite is receiving five different signals. And we haven't even gotten to the question yet. <laughs> That's an excellent point. Well, let's go through the other two breakouts. The, yeah, I mean, the, the threat assessment led by uh, Marissa, from uh, who's part of their center of excellence, uh, that's going to be amazing. Because if you look at that, not only do we, do we have, you know, threat managed professionals, we also have, you know, the waiver 21 folks, we have a corporate, fo- we have a corporate individual. And then I'm very, uh, Dan Frost from Netflix, and then Adam Cambridge from MITRE, I think, is a very interesting piece for this threat assessment for modern day security programs, because you have them, you know, you think about MITRE and everyone's going, wait a minute, isn't that a cybersecurity company? And they, you know, they, they have their own kind of way that they, they look at threats and they have their own kind of way that they digest them. But I'm, I'm super stoked to kind of start hearing this idea and I'm not giving anything away for further down in the agenda, but this convergence discussion that's going to suddenly start flowing into the conversation here. Well, you know, it was so funny before I opened up the paragraph and the speakers, and I just read the line, the importance of threat assessment for modern day security programs. First question I wrote down is, I thought everyone thought that was important. Well, they do, but they, the way in which they look at it might be different. Uh, For example, these cyber folks might be thinking about indicators of change and the fiscal folks might be thinking of uh, pathways to violence and the insider threat folks might be thinking about, uh, you know, pathways that would lead somebody to maybe, you know, release information or, or take information away. And there are, if you, if we drew circles on the board, there are touch points within all of these. And again, I think the only way for us to start getting to this, Converged conversation is to start putting these different folks, you know, on the on the platform. So you have a cyber folks with with the miter side. You have uh, Stephen White with Waiver Twenty One, which is threat management stuff. You have Marissa, who's going, you know, Antix Marissa Randazzo, who's going to be kind of probably managing the whole thing. And now we have Dan Frost from Netflix, who represents maybe a corporate viewpoint and and can kind of put it all together for us and say, well, where do we sit in the middle of this? It's a very, it's, it's very well thought. It's a very well thought discussion and probably one of them that I'm really looking forward to the most. Except for one thing, you've got a breakout going on at the same time. Oh man. (laughs) 
and let's I just get, realized that. And let's let's look at Dang that it. right now. This is called for everyone following along. This is called proving the value of corporate security in your organization. Even more important than anything else. No. Um, <laughs> look here. We you and this is something that's squarely in folks like you and me who have been in the security uh, leadership and risk management game for a while. I mean, great break glass in case of emergency. We're no longer there with security departments. And, you know, myself and, and Brady from Emergent Risk International, and we're working on, uh, we've had to replace somebody who couldn't come at the last minute. So there'll be one more TBD that will be in this, uh, uh, this conversation talking about how do you drive and prove the value? Because a lot of times, great, we can prove the value post 9-11. We can prove the value post uh, hurricane or post incident, you know, maybe it's a breach or shooting or whatever, God forbid, it's easy, but then, but then that tapers off. So you have this in, investing of security just after an incident. And then we divest within a couple of months because we start to lose, we start to lose the story that gets beyond us. So I'm looking forward to talking to folks about how they demonstrate ROI and how we look at, right. uh, and how we look and communicate to the C-suite in their language to let them know that, look, corporate security or the idea of corporate risk security is, is not what you think it is. It, it's so funny because um, years ago, and you know my story, years ago, I'm a business guy, right? I, I, I haven't lived in your world. And 20 something years ago, when I entered your world, I sat, I, I, I sat at your feet and I learned how you saw risk and studied all the different risk players since then and their professional approach to the business. Uh, but as you know, my story, what I didn't see is a good value proposition to the C-suite. I just didn't see a good one. And most of the time it waited upon an incident to get funding for mm -hmm. the next go around. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious, you don't have to answer this now, but I'd love to see what um, a business-like value proposition looks like. I would love to see that in this breakout. And then, man, now you, but you've really fed my appetite when you say, and how do you sustain it over time? I can't, I, am I going to get the first one? I'll give you a snippet of some of the things I've been talking to Brady about and, and we've been banting back and forth. I mean, one of, one of the things is I think the, the rules have changed a bit. So uh, we are in a, a place now where many CEOs are expected to have a, a political comment. And if you don't have a political comment that is in matching with the majority of your, of your customers, then you could be in trouble. So I, I think that automatically raises, you're always gonna make somebody mad. So I, I think the idea of intelligence, protective intelligence risk monitoring comes into play as part of the value, but then you start, you have to also understand that like, it's no longer like they're the brand value folks, we're the risk, you know, we're the risk security value folks over here is the, you know, the HR value folks. It's all kind of one risk and one way that we need to look at the various risks, all of our pipelines. So anyways, I, I don't want to give too much more away, but those are some of the things that we're talking about. So I think you'll, you'll get answers to both of those. Yes. It's uh, so funny, Chuck. I remember years ago in, in um, my business school learnings, one of the fathers of strategy, uh, I think it was Drucker, who said, um, 
the most essential piece of a business is marketing. And I, I read that and I went, really? And you have to dig into it. But his whole point was, is how you communicate the value of your business to your, your ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was the most valuable piece from one of the fathers of strategy and business. And what you just said is fascinating because in a sense, you now have an incredible value proposition that answers the question, is security mission critical to me and my company and my brand? So that, yes, I, I, I think you have a tremendous uh, forum here. I can't, I can't wait to sit in on it, except right now I have to decide between you and Bergman <laughs> and Threats. And well, if any of the OnTIC attendees, uh, this summit attendees have a problem, it's going to be, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I think um, having good note takers so we can all do a debrief after it is going to be essential. Well, it's something to note too. I believe that you can get, if you're an ASIS member, you can get CPE uh, credits for all these sessions. Absolutely. Also means that they can't be more, you know, this isn't an infomercial folks. This is, you know, these are digestible, um, relatable um, knowledge, you know, knowledge right. bombs that will be dropped if, if the kids are still saying that nowadays. So after your session, Chuck, we go back into a general uh, session and Manish yep. Mehta, the chief product officer of Ontic is going to be giving us, it looks like a roadmap. Of yeah. He, Ron, I, I can say this. I talked to Manish briefly. I got a snippet, which was all he would give me of, you know, what he is going to lay out. And I, I don't want to say anything because I don't, I, hey, I don't want him to be mad at me, but, the little snippet that he, I, he and I talked about, about what they're looking in terms of their data integrations and roadmaps and what they're doing for the, the longer vision, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be amazing. And he's got some good historical perspectives, which, you know, automatically pinged me. And I was like, that's awesome. And some of the stuff that he's pulling up from, you know, the 40s and 50s and what we can learn from history, I think, is going to be extremely interesting. Well, uh, one of, what I'm pretty impressed by so far in my many discussions with uh, Fred Burton, Manish, Lucas, um, is the fact that Antic, and you don't find this very often, by the way, but Antic truly, am I right on this, Chuck? Because you, you would know, truly seems to be set apart right now. They you know, you say access control, I can come up with 20 vendors. If you say, if you say uh, data mining, social media platforms, I can come up with 20 vendors, but protective intelligence platform, uh, I don't think they have a lot of vendors in that space right now. Am I correct? Um, there are, there are vendors in the space. I would say definitely they're one of the, if not the leader in the space, but I also think they're a, a very key words here leader in the space, like embracing the idea, like we said earlier, embracing the idea and embracing what it means and trying to help define it and define it within the sector so that, you know, it will right. help people in their own business and their own brand, um, in their, in their values. Um, so I, yeah, I, they definitely are one of the leaders in the space in the technology, but they're also one of the leaders in the space in terms of thought leadership as well. 
well, then we can treat this as kind of a roadmap for the protective intelligence platform as a market mm-hmm. sector. That's good. That's good. Okay, we go back into breakouts after lunch. And uh, well, just one quick, you know, for folks that are listening for lunch, you know, here's, I'm going to call it the Ron Warman challenge because I can hear you saying this to somebody. <laughs> Don't have lunch with your buddy. Sit down with somebody that you didn't know at the, at, you know, at the event that you've met and talk about what you've heard and try to try to use it as a true opportunity for network. And, and I want to underline a piece of what you just said. Don't talk about anything. Talk about what you just learned, because this conference has a, a chance, like I say in my opening remarks on The Great Conversation, to change the way you see your world. So uh, let's let's keep it germane yep. and let's see how other peoples uh, are consuming the information within the conference. I love that, Chuck. Yep. Breakout afternoon session. We have from request action utilizing OSINT, OSINT, to inform actionable intelligent. Like I said before, many vendors in this space providing open source information how you aggregate it, how you organize it, how you digest it, and how you act on it is a whole other thing. Are we? Uh, do you know David Wilson and Matthew Siegel? I know of both of them. Uh, I think I've met Matt before, but um, I, I certainly know both of them from the community and have seen some of the stuff they put out. I This is exciting to me too, because you have folks that have been there, done that, air quotes there. But I love the idea that we're going to hear from both of them on the basis of OSINT and how to, this is important for me and, and for a lot of the folks that, that work in, in my Intel shop too, like returning, turning that request for information into actionable intelligence, super important because often you get folks who will say, Ron, I need a threat assessment on, you know, this event that's coming up in Topeka. You're like, great. What do you need? I need it all. Well, that's impossible. So you hearing from these folks that, you know, about and, it, you know, and asking them about, hey, how do you take an RFI and help turn it into um, intelligence requirements so that then you can take information and make it actionable, therefore making it intelligence that you can use for people, you know, maybe it's people in the field or maybe, it, you know, it's decision makers. But this this will be a really interesting conversation between these two gentlemen. To be proactive and protective more and more we're going to have to urge our industry to think and demand real time, real time, which means a whole different information technology platform to be able to get to real time. But when it comes to OSINT, what I I wrote down as a key question for me is, especially from experts in this field, is before it can be actionable, it has to be true. How do you know it's true? Be especially with open source intelligence, right? Well, and again, you hit it, you hit it right on the head. How do you know what's true and verifiable? And how do we, I mean, we could, we could spend a whole 40 minutes talking about like bias right. and all the things that affect intelligence. And I've got a million questions for these two and I can't, I can't wait. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, this I, is one of the others that I'm really looking forward to because oftentimes leaders can pontificate and I'm not saying leaders aren't smart, but sometimes you know, in, in the, when, you know, I retired from the military and sometimes I'd, I'd say like, let's go talk to a sergeant. 
Let's find out what's going right. on on the ground and let's go talk to people who have been there and lived in those shoes and ask them if it's viable and how can we make it more useful. And right. I think this is going to answer that. There's another breakout too. If you listen to Manish, you'll get a glimpse of this, but it looks like they're going deeper. Uh, a platform requires integrations. We've all had to deal with the integration space for the last 20 years. It'll be interesting to see what they have on the roadmap and how it's, it's, they're it's, sustaining those integrations. Over well, time. it's it's great though, Ron, because a lot of times in the, we'll say like, well, I, I don't feel like I, the customer doesn't have a voice, you know, especially in terms of, of use, you know, user, user uh, interface, you know, UX and the other stuff. And I think, I, I love the fact that you're going to get Anna and Harris, they're going to talk about, look, we, we've listened to what you've asked for. And now here's what we're doing to improve it in terms of, you know, the look C4. And I think it will be a great piece off of Manish's to, to dovetail into, okay, we heard from Manish, the big picture. Now, what does that mean? Again, we go back to the folks on the ground saying, here's how we're going to build that. Uh, and the next one, the convergence of cybersecurity and physical security. I don't know if I told you this in one of our great conversation segments, I interviewed uh, a CISO, chief information security officer of a major hospital. And he had just been given an additional title. Chuck, this is crazy. But chief technology officer of what? Digital transformation. Mm -hmm. They're picking the CISO for digital transformation. And he also picked up physical security. So what's interesting to me is the convergence of cyber and physical that we've talked about forever is really, I think, being accelerated by digital transformation. What are your thoughts? 100% agree. But I would also add in a, in a COVID uh, environment, and I can't believe we, you know, gosh, we almost went halfway through the podcast until we mentioned COVID. That must be, that must be a record for some, you know, for threat folks right now. But I think if you think about it's been exact, it's been accelerated by digital transformation and exacerbated by COVID. And uh, what I mean by that is the edge is anywhere the CEO or anywhere the decision makers are now where before we could kind of talk about convergence at a very slow pace because it was comfortable for us because we had these brick and mortar um, uh, castles that we could protect either physically or digitally. And they, you know, they both kind of talked to each other in the, in the, in the break room and we didn't have to, but then all of a sudden we have hybrid work. We have, you know, we have all these folks living all over the place. Their networks are truly reaching out to the edge, but their physical security risk is out to the edge as well. And I, and I think, I think this will be a very interesting uh, conversation around, okay, what are the touch points for convergence? What does that actually mean? And how do we work together? Because if you go back up to say the value um, breakout that I'll have, you know, a lot of times the resourcing may not be a hundred percent, but a lot of the resources could be co-opted between the two. And you might be able to, you know, to, to save, uh, to save on some resources, to dual hat some things you're doing. I would uh, ask all of our community, if, if, if you're a chief security officer or C-level, you know, executive, bring some team members with you. Uh, if you're just a team member, uh, bring on, along your counterpart in one of these uh, key disciplines that they're talking about, because I think if you tag team, you're going to come back with a richer experience. Uh, yeah. when, when we come back into general session before the final series of breakouts, 
we get to listen to uh, Jack Carr, a notable author, ex-Navy SEAL. I, I just finished his book, The Devil's Hand Scared the mm-hmm. Crap Out of Me. Have you met Jack Carr, Chuck? I haven't yet. Uh, Fred and I have, have talked about him many times, and uh, we've uh, traded some words on, on social media before. He, like myself, is a big fan of Magnum PI, which I believe you are too. We'll save that conversation for maybe the uh, for maybe the uh, the happy hour at the at the conference. But uh, <laughs> the thing I like about Jack is, you know, I grew up reading um, Clive Cussler. I, I remember reading the Most Dangerous Game. I remember being exposed to Tom Clancy. And this this is really this is really just a Chuck Randolph personal thing. I I really enjoyed Jack's writing style. And I think he takes uh, complex issues, he breaks them down so the reader can understand. And let's face it, fiction is important in risk management. And I know some people might be saying, no way, you know, but it's important because how do you red team properly? I don't mean just like, how do you break into a building or the red team is such a more complex, multi-part issue and, you know, risk scenario development, all these things, you know, really understanding and embracing the idea of fiction helps to kind of, you know, ask the what if and then develop those mitigation strategies around it. It's, it's going to be a great conversation between him and Fred. Well, in the devil's hand, it, it actually had a number of scenarios that we've already talked about. How do you know the data is true? Yeah. How do you act on it? And then most importantly, who acts on it? So it's a, I, uh, uh, I'm glad I read the book before I met him. Uh, yeah. we and, into- and just a quick thing on Jack too. I mean, if you're a student of history and you like military history or just history in general, Jack is a real history buff too. So I would follow him on uh, social media if you don't. Uh, that's fantastic. Okay, we got to be quick here because uh, our podcast is meant to be 20 and we're going to yep. run more like 45, but that's that's fine. But let's finish it up here. Quick comments. Key elements to building a successful protective intelligence program. And it looks like we're bringing some good case studies uh, to the front from a uh, media company, yep. a pork products company, and, uh, and a land development company, three different scenarios where, quite frankly, you wouldn't necessarily think of protective intelligence. I'm going to find this fascinating. I, I think this is going to be great because at the end of the day, you're like, it's kind of like uh, when I was a kid and you'd watch Sesame Street, like one of these things isn't like the other. But when you peel back the onion, so to speak, they are. They have, they have the same types of problems. So understanding as, and if you look at their, they've been very smart about this agenda, they're building. And as you build on the agenda and you get to this point, you start thinking like, okay, what have we heard before about convergence, about value, about the use of protective intelligence, about, you know, uh, making, making an RFI into something actionable. And now you have the ability to hear it from, uh, from, from three, from three different lenses. How did they get it done? So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And then, of course, you're unfortunately, at the very same time, a fascinating conversation between Tom Kopecki, uh, the chief strategy officer and founder of Ontic, with Keith White from Salesforce, the SVP yeah. of Chief Global Safety. And in the body that explains what it's going to be about, you read this. This is, this is actually amazing. Many security leaders have grafted over into ownership of health and safety like never before. Now, mm-hmm. now this is crazy. 
but it wasn't too long ago before the pandemic where sickness was an HR problem. And it was a, ready for this, everybody? It was a half trillion dollar problem in the United mm -hmm. States of America. What we're suggesting now, and this is, this is provocative, Chuck, sorry about that, but this is the business guy going, isn't sickness a weapon? Yeah. I mean, anything can be weaponized now. Right. And even the idea of sickness can be a weapon. And I think these are things that corporate executives have to think about. Again, we're building on the whole thing. So now we've talked about issues at the edge. Our CEO maybe is working from brick and mortar. Maybe he's working from Hawaii. Maybe he's working from Topeka. And now we're also, they're making these decisions about health and safety for the, their entirety of the organization. On one hand, they probably have to deal with the government. On the other hand, they're probably in taking signals of people who are either pro or con, whatever the decision is being done. And oh, by the way, they're going to be traveling. And this idea of the COVID dominated world is directly affecting them too. I mean, uh, and I can't think of, you know, I'm looking forward to TK and Keith's discussion about how do you manage this and how do you, how do we look about it? as the pandemic becomes an endemic and we go from priority to requirement. Absolutely. And what I love about the third session, again, it's gonna be hard to choose if you don't have multiple players on your team in, in these sessions, but mm -hmm. that's what networking's about too. But is Fred Burton is facilitating a discussion over protective intelligence in the nonprofit sector and this is going to be really intriguing because it's the last sector to spend loads of money necessarily. Yeah, they don't they don't have the resources. They, or don't. If they do. If they do, they have to go through a committee that's going to have a lens on it. And you're going to get 15 different people asking you why. And you go all the way back up to that value proposition. And this will be very interesting because really, I, I think about you think about NGO security and what unsung heroes are they? Because in one sense, I got to get. I got to get it done just like the for profits, but I got to get it done. And I can't, I don't have the resources. And by that, I mean, I may not have the money to spend. I may not have the ability to do this. So how do we, how do we do more with less? Absolutely. Now the next day, um, they're going to have, you know, a special general session, uh, probably some awards and things like that. But again, a series of breakout sessions before we head to the airport. And my good friend, Michael Trott uh, from the Discovery Land Company and also the author of The Protected yep. is going to be with uh, Ontex Cynthia Marble and John Haynes from Dell talking about how this all applies to EP. Back to the wheel again. There's a lot of different silos in security. EP is one of them. This is going to be a good one. Well, Mike and John are longtime, very good friends of mine. And I know Cynthia, this is going to be awesome. And I actually look forward to being their front and center so I can ask Mike and John questions and make them super uncomfortable. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. They look, John's got a program that's awesome. And it's, it's, it's been around for a long time and he's been using protective intelligence and the, and uh, the ideas around it for a very long time. Mike's lived and breathed it in the corporate world and in the, the government world. You know, uh, we had him on our podcast, Conversation Close Protection as well, when the book first came out. This is going to be an awesome one and not to miss. And then uh, the other breakout corresponding to it is uh, how you break down silos. So we're going to hear from 
the Global Security Operations Center soup, uh, Chris DeRimmer, I believe, is the yep. and uh, Chris Cole, who is also their safety and security program manager, and Joshua Kaufman, a regional security manager. So I know these folks as well. And Chris, you know, specifically, I worked with Chris uh, a couple times. This is going to be a real, I actually, you look at this, you're like, oh, breakdown silos. We heard this before. This is going to be important if you're on the corporate side, especially as we've talked about things like convergence and all these other things to come in and say, great, look, your C-suite, have, we've talked a little bit before, they're going to be asking you more questions. How do you get through the tribes? How do you get through the issues so that you can get to the facts and you can get to things like common operating information, common operating language, and that, you know, that, that, uh, that one security all approach to, to giving stuff to the C-suite. So really looking forward to this as well. I'm going to have to clone myself on all these. Of course, of course, I, I will too. Now, this, this, this one other session in the morning is probably the one you can't miss because I'm facilitating a discussion. No, I, 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 I was going to say, who's this guy, Ron Warman? <laughs> I get the privilege of taking um, legal and security convergence yeah. uh, and talking about business resilience and safer and more secure. But what I'm really looking forward to, quite frankly, is look, look, look who I have on this panel, Julie, Julie Brown from MITRE, and you've already profiled why MITRE is so important as thought leaders in the space. And Debbie Maples from Salesforce uh, and Josh Massey, who works with Juliet Miter, is uh, part of Enterprise Security Assurance, Security and Risk Management. I'm going to be working with these people over the next two weeks to get deep dive into their thought leadership and looking forward to an excellent session. But Ron, isn't this where we're going, though? We're going to, you, you know, we talk and you and I have talked about it here before. We're going to this idea of risk as opposed to all these different security or risk silos in a company. And this is something I would say, if this is something you're like, oh, I'm not quite sure about that. This all seems like legal and government go to this super important because this is, this is where it's all going. So well, you need to start understanding this, these definitions, this language, the way the, these folks and the way you guys are going to approach talking about this. And of course, many CSOs report to the CLO. So this is going to be an important value discussion. As yeah, well. absolutely. Um, and then we have uh, in the afternoon, we have case studies. This is the how to use the specific OnTIC platform. And we have a number of companies being uh, facilitated by Amy Sullivan. And if you haven't had a chance of experiencing Amy facilitating a great conversation. Awesome. Uh, she's very good. She's the VP of yeah. Line Experience at Ontic. Well, these are important because people, you know, like, oh my gosh, you know, Ontic, how do I use it? You know, I, I have met people that have not just Ontic, but have platforms for use in their company already. And, you know, when you're talking to them about what are you doing with this and you're like, Hey, are you using this to its fullest value? I don't know. And maybe it's hubris, maybe it's time, maybe for whatever reason, we don't explore the, you know, becoming a super or a power user. And this is one way to do it. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing, you know, you have Tina from maybe the high net worth family. Uh, and then you have Brandon from the corporate side, and then you have uh, Mark, who who's going to you know from Take Two. So I'm I'm interested in hearing from all three of their their optics, if you will, how they're how they're using uh, the platform. 
Totally agree. But, and, and it's not just about the Ontic platform, though, Ron, again, you know, it's about like, how are they using their platform? What do they do to get involved in it? How do they become power users? I think that's important, too. This next session uh, is addressing workplace violence in a world of hybrid work. Now, the first thing I thought of before I totally consume this was our, this whole duty of care issue. In a private setting called the home, that's now become a workplace. An extension, yeah. That extension. Do you see us beginning to actually reach into the home on possible violence occurring within the home? But I, so this is one maybe you can ask during your session since you have some legal folks there, but how could we not? You know, how can it not bleed over? I, I just, in my mind, I don't see where you can say, hey, you know, Ron, it stopped at your door. Well, I was doing email in my house. I was, you know, fielding calls in my house. I was on a Zoom call in my house and somebody didn't like something they saw. And they, you know, they looked me up through OSINT and then they came to my house. And, you know, so I, I think if we're not talking about, we're not talking about um, addressing, you know, the edge the, the issues on the edge, I, I think we're doing a misservice to ourselves and those folks that we're charged to protect. I love how you frame that. I love how you frame that. And then the final one um, in this particular afternoon sequence is one of my favorites. I've been doing this yeah. for 20 years, and that is the real threat. The most of the threats we have actually come from inside the company, insider yep. threat management. We have some good ones, uh, Torchstone. We have the Anti-Defamation League. We have Smithfield. It looks like this could be a real valuable session. Yeah. Look, anytime you can hear Scotty Stewart or Scott Stewart talking about what, what he knows best is, uh, is worth your time. And I think a lot of times, you know, you have this idea that like it was a cyber issue. Like we said before, it's a cyber issue. It's a physical issue. Well, it's not. It's an issue. And I'm looking forward to Scott uh, taking John and Chris through this walk down the insider threat management lane and what we can learn from it and how we can better utilize resources, you know, utilize hub activity, all, all these things. So I, it's going to be it's going to be a good session. Now, more than ever, this yeah. industry has the opportunity to pivot off some accelerating risk geopolitically, environmentally, economically, mm -hmm. and of course, work from home and pandemic wise, we have the opportunity to pivot and really do some amazing things over the next few years. With every risk comes an opportunity. Well, Chuck Randolph, you and I are ready for it. Let's hope everyone else is too. This has been a great conversation with Chuck Randolph at At Risk. Chuck, it's going to be great to see you again. Yep, look forward to seeing you as well and hearing some uh, ideas about surfing lessons. <laughs> this has been a, a great conversation, which will not involve surfing. Talk to you soon.